All right, y'all ready for the word of the Lord? Amen. If you got your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 4. And we have been making our way through the book of Romans. Can you believe we are at chapter 4 already? Feels like yesterday. And uh, we, are, we are moving, we are moving, we are moving. When you're there, say amen. And just put your finger right there. That's Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Many of you would be familiar with this word, layaway. Don't act like you don't know what it is. If you're not a baller like me, you know what layaway is. Thank God that they came out with it. It means the system of paying a deposit to secure an item uh, for later purchase. Um, when I was younger, my mom and dad would talk about layaway a lot around Christmas time. It was seven of us little ones, and so Lelway came in clutch. We knew we had a lot of gifts coming, but would not receive them until the Lelway was paid off. And oh, you better have paid that Lelway off. My parents would make monthly payments to get our gifts off of Lelway. And there were times when we were not sure if the layaway would actually get paid off because of hard times. And if it was not paid off, you would, they would lose our gifts, and my parents would feel bad and mad. Mad because they lost their money, and bad because, well, they lost our gifts, and so was I. We have been learning through our teaching on Romans that our salvation is not on Lelway. We are not waiting for God the Father to finish his payment on the gift of eternal life so he can present salvation to us. He has paid the full price for the gift of eternal life by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have learned that we do not need to go half on Lelway with God. To secure our gift of salvation. And we know that we don't have to worry about whether God will be able to afford the gift of salvation. We understand. We are not to open up our own layaway and work for this salvation at any point. We do not need to make monthly payments. God, I did 20 good things last month, which is five more than what I did last month, and at this rate, my salvation should be off a of layaway in no time. And church, when we understand Christ's grace, it is an unparalleled message. In Hinduism, you pay with karma. In Islam, you never know if your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. But the grace of Christ comes to us and says, your debt is paid and it is paid in full. Friend, salvation is not on Lelway, but the gift has been paid in full on the cross and brought home and enjoyed by all God's children who have faith in who? In Jesus. God justifies or makes right all his children the same day they have faith in his son. It is called justification by faith alone, through Christ alone. 
justification by faith alone, through Christ alone. And today I want to argue that justification happens instantly. By faith apart from works. And that our faith is not on railway. I want to do this with the person of Abraham. Let's get to know this guy before we dive into the text, before I tell y'all about his business. Y'all need to know who Abraham is. Somebody say, what up with Abraham? All right, let's find out about my, my homie, my boy back in Genesis. See, I don't know about y'all. When I read the Bible, I make friendships with people. Like Abraham, like that's my dude, you know. You know, he can kick it with me. Today, Paul wants to illustrate through the life of Abraham that salvation has never been on layaway nor for sale as far back as Genesis. Paul has told us how to be right with God, and he said a man is right with God not by what he does, but by what he believes, by believing in Jesus Christ in his perfect work. And now it is critical that Abraham, in his illustration, it, it, it is critical that Paul use Abraham as his illustration because this, what, what he has just taught, would be unacceptable to the Jewish mind. And so he selects Abraham to make his point because for the past three chapters, Paul has been giving us theological theory, theological truth, and he needs flesh and blood. And so he takes it out of the abstract and puts it into the concrete. He gives it flesh, the flesh of Abraham. So I tagged this text this morning, faith in the flesh. You know when you're having an argument with someone and the first thing you hear is, that sounds good, but I've never seen that before. Or bruh, talk down on earth. I don't know what you're talking about. I need real life. I need something tangible, something I can see. I don't need all that theory. I need to see this. I need to be able to touch this. So Paul, knowing that they want something tangible, being the theologian that he is, Paul reaches back to the first book of the Bible and pulls out a man by the name of Abraham, the first of God's children to express incredible faith is Abraham. Now, some of you might not know who Father Abraham is. He's like an OG of the faith. Uh, he's like someone who is named the grandfather of gospel music. Uh, he's like the grandfather of R&B. He's, he's the grandfather of faith. Abraham so, so was so respected, they made a song after my man. Imagine that. A song after you. Nobody's making a song after you this morning. It's not going to happen. But some of you may recall this song. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all what? Praise the Lord. That's that old school right there, boy. But why this song? Why this song for Abraham? This song did not just come out of nowhere. 
It has meaning behind it. And the only way you're going to find the meaning behind this song is you got to go way back. We got to take them way, 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 way back. Old school. You got to go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, notice his name is Abram, not Abraham. Yet, you know God had changed your name. Ain't that so? You, you, you know you are the God of the universe when you can roll up and just change somebody's name. Just change it. All right. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country. He's telling him to move. In your kindred, in your father's house to the land that I will show you. In other words, leave everybody you know and go to this land. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a what? Blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonor you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If our God is for us, who can be against us? Abraham had God on his side. God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many. Abraham did as God told him. He moved his family to the land of modern-day Israel. He had incredible moments and some failures, too. He wasn't a perfect dude. In other words, Abraham was a lot like you and I. Believe God, but still stumbled. Believe God, but was not perfect. Believe God, but sometimes had his moments. He famously saved his nephew Lot after God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. He obeyed when God tested him with the almost sacrifice of his son Isaac. God provided the necessary sacrifice. And Abraham declared him to be who? Jehovah Jireh. God is my provider. Abraham knew from the start that this was no layaway God. Abraham was not a perfect man, but he believed God in some incredible ways. He had outstanding faith. So much so, check this out, that the book, that the book of Galatians says this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The Bible labels him the man of faith. Y'all know we like man of God. No, just man of faith. All right. So did you see that? To have faith is to follow in the example of who? Abraham. Let me say that again. To have faith in God is to follow or trace in the footsteps of Abraham. Was Abraham perfect in his faith? No. Did he grow in his faith? Yes. This is an imperfect man with incredible faith. This is a God that I can vibe with. This is a God that I can relate to. This is a God that I can pull a chair up to the table with. This is a guy that I can identify with. There are times in my life when I have great faith 
And there are times when I stumble and I don't do as God asks me to do. I can relate to Abraham. Can anybody relate to Abraham this morning? All right, now that we have a clear understanding of this God, Abraham, let's go to our text. What then shall we say? Picking up in Romans chapter 4, verses 1, watch every word because every word matters. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness will be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walks in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. What are you talking about, Paul? Now, if this is my first time showing up and I hear circumcision that many times, I would say, what kind of church are you guys going to? But just give me a second and I'll make sense out of it. I would like us to learn three lessons about justification I would like us to learn three lessons about justification by faith in regards to the life of our forefather, Abraham. Number one, Abraham was living proof that salvation comes by faith. Number two, Abraham's son, King David, reminds us that those whose sins are forgiven are blessed. Number three, Abraham was living proof we are justified by faith apart from the law. Abraham is living proof that salvation comes by faith. Number one. Let's go back to the verse. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. You see, Paul picks up the issue of boasting again that we saw back in chapter 3, verse 27. Paul says that boasting is excluded, and he picks it back up in the person of Abraham. If God saved Abraham by works, then he could boast. He could say, I did that thing. He could say, see what I've done? See what I have accomplished? So that if you walked up to Abraham in the afterlife and you said, hey, Ham, you know how we get people nicknamed. Hey, hey, Ham, come here, bro. 
Let me holler at you for a minute. Hey, how did you get to heaven? Be real with me. Man to man, boy to boy. Let holler at me. Tell your boy how you got to heaven. Man, you're not going to believe this, bro. You're not going to believe this, but God came to me out of nowhere. And he told me to pack up and leave my family and everything. I thought he was wilding at that point. But you know what? You know what? I didn't trip because anything to get in God's good graces, you know I had to do it. So I had to call the U-Haul place, get the biggest U-Haul possible, pack up the U-Haul, and leave and go where God told me to go. You's a bad boy. Hey, hold on, hold on. That ain't the only thing that I had to do. You ain't going to believe this. God was really wilding and tripping out because he then told me in order to get my salvation off Lailway, I had to make one more payment. What was that, Abraham? I need you to sacrifice your son Isaac. Uh, and, and you know that was a little bit difficult that God would ask me to sacrifice my son. I was wrestling in the inside, but I believed him anyway. And I took my son on up to that mountain and I was getting ready to strike him dead. And God said, hold up, wait a minute. I got something for you. And you see, and you see, that's how I got to heaven because I was able to do what God told me to do. Is that how it went down? Negative. And if you was praising like it was, you ain't been listening. Mm -hmm. Y'all about to go order a U-Haul. That ain't what happened. Folks be lying. You got to watch people when they preaching, boy. They'll lie to you. They'll lie to you. You keep, an eye, you keep one eye on them, one eye on the Bible. Like cross at it. Eyes cocked like a pistol. I see you and I see the word. You ain't going to get past me today. Come on, bring it on. All right. Is that what happened? No. What does verse 2 say? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. See it, church. See it, see it, see it. There will be no boasting in God's presence. What does he say in Isaiah? I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. I will not share my glory. No one at no time will anyone receive in heaven any glory in eternity. You still want to go? There's no glory there for you. There's glory for you to enjoy. <laughs> All right. Verse 3. Watch this. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed, watch this, God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. All right. Let's watch what Paul is doing here. Because this verse is very, very, very key. If you miss this, you mess the whole thing up. He knows the Jewish people love Abraham. They love him more than people like LeBron James. Sorry, I just had to throw that out there. They boast about him being their father. Many of them want to be like him. Many of them think they are going to heaven because they think they are children of Abraham. Watch where he's going. Now, this verse 3 runs contrary to the rabbi's teaching. Let me fill you in a little bit. The majority of the rabbis at the time of Paul in the time of our Lord in Jewish history believe, and this is still what the majority of them believe, that Abraham was made right with God, was saved, if you will, was forgiven of his sins, was given eternal life, was chosen by God for salvation because of his character. 
He was the best man in the world, the best man in his generation. Therefore, he was chosen by God to be the father of his people Israel. So if Paul can show them scripture that even Abraham was saved by faith, then they really have nothing to shoot back with. Watch what Paul is doing. He is basically taking the Michael Jordan of the law and saying that even he had to obtain salvation by faith. Let's just imagine for a minute. If there was an NBA of heaven, there was an NBA heaven, all the players go to NBA heaven, and even Michael Jordan couldn't make it into the NBA heaven by what he accomplished on the court but could only make it by trusting what Jesus did on the court for him. Because to get into NBA heaven, you must not miss one shot your entire career. Your entire career. And if Michael Jordan couldn't get into NBA heaven without Jesus, how in the world do you think you're going to get into heaven outside of Jesus Christ? Is what Paul is saying. And this is the point of the argument, that you do one of two things. This point of the argument, he has stolen Abraham from them. They don't have him anymore. Now, you're only going to do one of two things in a fight. Either you're going to start throwing punches. You know, you know when you lose it. You know, in the middle of an argument, y'all going at it, and you ain't got no more argument. They fronting you out. What you start doing? People start throwing punches. They start swinging. They start going at it. <laughs> or you humble yourself and admit that you lost. Indeed, this is what Paul does. Y'all act like y'all ain't never fought before. Don't, don't play holy. Some of y'all probably was in a fight yesterday for all we know. Okay, this is what Paul does. He kills their argument. So where does he go? He goes to Genesis 15. Every Jew would be very familiar with this story because Abraham is already an old man. He had no sons through Sarah yet. He moans to God. At this point, my servant shall be my heir. He's, he's moaning to God. He's complaining to God that he has no offspring. He's been married. He's an old man. His wife is unable to give him children. And so he's moaning and complaining to God. And what does God do? Come here, Abraham. Come outside this tent. Let me show you something really fast. Now, you want to zoom in on this promise because it's very, very, very key and has a lot of implications throughout Scripture, which we can't cover all today. God says in Genesis 15, 5 through 6, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is what Paul is quoting in the Old Testament. God makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to bless him through his offspring. Abraham believes God, and God credits to him as righteousness. Abraham believes God's promise, and God counted to him as righteousness. God reckoned, God declared him righteous. This was Abraham being justified by faith. Notice it doesn't say Abraham did good things and God counted him as righteous. It doesn't say Abraham went to church and God counted him as righteous. It doesn't say Abraham paid his tithes and God counted him as righteous. 
It doesn't say Abraham gave to the poor and God counted him as righteous. No, he believed God. So how were the Old Testament saints saved? They believed in the coming Messiah. We're going to get to this promise because encapsulated in this promise is a foreshadowing of Jesus coming. Old Testament saints were saved by believing in the Messiah to come. Abraham came to God empty. He was old and his wife was also. They were not having kids. But God told him you will. Abraham offered God what? Nothing. But a broken situation. Which is the same thing you offer God. A broken situation. But he believed God. He believed that God could take nothing and make something. He believed that God could take nothing and make something. God's raw material is nothingness. And I'm telling you, faith doesn't come prideful but broken and needy. Okay. So that you get what this looks like. Look at verse 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due. And to one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is simple, right? If I clock in at work, then the owner owes me my paycheck. (laughs) Every two weeks. Come on, this is not hard. Every two weeks, you put your 40 you put your 40 hours in one week, you put your 40 hours in the next week, that's a total of 80 hours. You go to them, and what are you expecting on Friday? Your paycheck. Don't have my paycheck. Woo! Forget Abraham and anybody else. I'm going ham up in here as hard as Moses. Just want y'all to know that. This is simple. When we try to work for our salvation, we are trying to put God in debt. But God will never be in your debt, ever. He will never owe anyone. We are weak, and he is strong. He is rich, and we are needy. He is full, and we are empty. And when we come to him empty and believing he will fill us up, he fills us up. When we come to him weak and believe he can make us strong, we leave strong. When we come to him guilty and broken and believing he can justify, we leave justified. So number two, Abraham's son, King David, reminds us that those whose sins are forgiven are blessed. Now, I'm not sure if we can fully comprehend what it is to hear God say, not guilty. I don't know if we can fully comprehend that in this life. But look at verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Paul uses the word bless three times in these verses. This word bless is makros in Greek, means a condition where you are deeply secure and content and happy in God. Now, we hear a lot of noise out there on what it means to be blessed and have favor. You got your hair done? You got a business and it's rocking? 
you're doing well, money coming in, money coming to what they say, no sickness, no trouble, you are blessed. But Jesus says differently. Blessed are you in Matthew, Jesus said, when they insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. John Piper says, so blessed are you does not mean untroubled are you, or healthy are you, or admired are you, or prosperous are you. It means between you and God, all is well. You are deeply secure, profoundly content, happy in God. Even if you are weeping over pain-struck body, a perplexed mind, or a heartbreaking relationship, if you can lay your head on your bed and say, it is well with my soul, it doesn't matter what condition you're in, you are blessed. When you know that you know that beyond this life, Jesus has prepared a place for you. You are blessed. Blessed are you if you know a fountain filled with blood and sinners lose all their guilty stain. Blessed are you, church, if you can sing. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. David said, Bless is the man whose sin is not counted against him. Maybe you don't feel the weight of that. You know your sin. If you know the weight of your sin, you would barely be able to contain yourself. If when you think about Jesus, your heart cries out, worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor. Faith in God's gospel produces worship for his Son. Faith in God's gospel produces worship in his Son. What slave is set free and doesn't rejoice? What man has been locked up and finally free and doesn't rejoice? Blessed are you. Friends, we know the burden of debt, do we not? I read one article this week that said, more than a third of Americans say they would be embarrassed to let others know that they are not paying off their credit card debt in full every month. Some of y'all start ducking like me. More than 40% say they believe they will be judged by family and friends because of credit card debt. The, the surprising thing is that America's average credit card debt is over $15,000 per person. But what a load it would be. What a load that would be lifted off of you if tomorrow someone paid all your credit card debt and student loans off. Ooh, look at some of y'all. Now y'all getting it. Ooh, y'all want to shout now. <laughs> y'all like, yes, Lord. Send it here, right here, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Praises go up. Blessings go down. There y'all go. See, y'all can't be doing that stuff. Balance your checkbook. You'd be all right. All right, anyways. I'm pretty sure that a praise would rise in your soul if someone did that for you. But friends, 
on a hill far away called Calvary, Jesus carried the burden of your eternal incalculable debts. They stretched him wide and they hung him high. Until what? Until you were debt free. Until God called you blessed. He died until shame and guilt set you free. Debt free, not because we paid it, but because Jesus paid it all. Now the article on the credit card debt went on to say, it's no surprise that shame about debt isn't necessarily productive in preventing or eradicating it. Shame doesn't guarantee success. The only way to pay off debt is to face it head on and make a plan to get rid of it. But what about a debt you can't pay off? How do you face it? You see, Paul has made it clear that we can't pay our sin debt off. He has argued that we can't work on our, we can't pay our way out of debt. Instead, our debt is forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And once again, he uses who? Abraham to crystallize this point. Number three, Abraham was living proof we are justified by faith apart from the law. <clears throat> Pick up in the verse. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Paul asks in verse 9 this. Is this blessing? What is he referring to? He's referring back to verses 6 through 8. Watch it. Sin not being counted. That's the blessing that he's talking about. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the un uncircumcised also? Why does he ask that? For the Jewish people, circumcision was one of the basic acts of obedience that defined them as Jewish. This was the mark that they had as a special covenant of acceptance with God. Circumcision meant something to them. It was their outward sign of being God's people. So Paul's question is this, did they get right with God by getting circumcised? Did the work of circumcision, this act of obedience, put them in right relationship with God? Did it clear their sin debt? Now watch the flow of the text, church. So he asks, is this blessing, referring to verses 6 through 8, God's imputed righteousness and the forgiveness of sin? Is it on the account of being circumcised or, on, or, or uncircumcised? His answer has two steps and then a conclusion. Let me give them to you. Step number one, verse nine. We say faith was credit to Abraham as righteousness. That's step one. Let's take Abraham again as an example here. The father of all the Jewish people. His faith was credit as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. And then step two, verse 10, how was his faith credited as righteousness? While he was circumcised 
or uncircumcised? Answer, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Okay, so Abraham is declared righteous in Genesis 15, 6. That is at least 14 years before. Now, some scholars say it may be 29 years at this point. He is declared righteous in Genesis 15, 6. So for three decades, Abraham walked before God as righteous. He was not circumcised until Genesis 17. So between Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, Abraham was uncircumcised for about 29 years. Now I got a little chart so you can see it. Let's go to school here. Can you pull it up? All right. Genesis 15, 6, as you see. God comes to Abraham, he makes a promise to him. Abraham is what? He's uncircumcised at this point. He believes God, God justifies him. Right? 29 years later, he's circumcised. All right? Did, it, did he have to pay Lelway for 29 years to get his salvation off of Lelway? Not at all. He was right with God before circumcision. What's Paul's point? That the blessing of having your sins forgiven and being made right with God isn't by means of circumcision. It came by faith. Apart from what? Works. That's what Paul wants to establish here with the example of Abraham. Look at verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul is not saying works does not matter. They just don't matter in being justified. Good works is what circumcision was to Abraham. Good works is what circumcision was. It is evidence that we are made right with God. The issue is they kept putting the cart before the horse. God, good works should, should spring up after salvation. And many of us live unrighteous not because we don't go to church or read our Bibles or pray, but because we are not saved. Many of us our unrighteous lives have nothing to do with you going to church. It has nothing to do with you not reading your Bible. You do that just fine. But if you don't see a pursuit of Jesus, it's probably because you're not saved. So what is real circumcision? What is the real sign of being God's child? A new heart. The new heart is real circumcision. Heart surgery by God is the real circumcision. Do you have a new heart? Not do you read your Bible every day. Do you have a new heart? That is the evidence of salvation. Romans 2, 28 through 29, so you know that I'm not making this up. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. 
by the spirit, not by the letter. What does Abraham and circumcision got to do with me, Dexter? What does circumcision have to do with you? How does this translate to us? Well, Abraham was declared righteous apart from works, and so are you. But what is our circumcision? In what ways do we try to declare ourselves right with God? Did, did, did God declare you righteous when you finished reading the entire Bible or before? Did God declare you righteous after you started going to church and started showing consistency or before? What about because you were a nice person? And some of y'all say, I'm still not a nice person. Is a baby conceived first or born first? Which comes first, the flower or the seed? Which comes first, the caterpillar or the butterfly? Which comes first, salvation or good works? God justifies you before you do anything right. Yes, God declares you righteous because he died for you. Therefore, he came to you in your sin. Then you believe that God came. God died for your sins. God raised Jesus from the dead and is coming back again for all those who believe. When God justified you, you believe that. You say, that's it? Declare righteous by believing in a promise, by taking God at his word, all is forgiven, me and God are good. Yep, that's exactly what I've been saying for the past three months. You are right with God when you believe in him. And what happens afterwards? Now I want to go to church, not out of duty, but out of delight. Now I want to read my Bible, not out of obligation, but out of a relationship with him. In the gospel, God mends us back together with him. So now my reading and now my doing is out of a relationship with him. I always say this. I heard a preacher say this. A guy comes up to his wife. Uh, he comes to his house to surprise his wife with flowers. He rings the doorbell. She answers the door, and he has the long white stem roses behind his back. She answers the door, and he surprises her with the long white stem roses. And she says, "You ladies, I know y'all get. Oh my goodness, how oh, he love me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And so she's excited, and she says, "Sweetie, why did you buy me these flowers?" And he responds, "Because I had to." Look at the ladies, like, boy, what's up? <laughs> I used to fight back in the day. <laughs> he says, because I had to. Keep your mouth closed. Didn't want to hear any of that fussing tonight. Realize I came home late, here's some flowers, go to bed. She like, you can keep them flowers, and you can turn your tail around because you ain't sleeping here tonight. Unless we wind the tape. Husband comes up to the door, long white stem roses for his wife. She answers the door and she says, sweetie, why did you buy these long white stem roses? And he says, I couldn't help myself. 
Your joy gives me joy. Now watch out, y'all. Ooh, somebody getting, somebody getting, somebody getting freedom right now. I feel it. Sweetie, I couldn't help myself. And in fact, I got a babysitter because there's no one else I'd rather spend time with than you. Ooh-wee, going to be a good night if you're married. Get that in there. But something to look forward to if you're not married. What was the difference? One was out of obligation and one was out of delight. And what the gospel does is changes our doing from duty to delight. So that I don't come to church so that God won't spank me. I don't read my Bible so that God won't spank me. I do it because I love him and I desire him and I want him and I want to be close to him and I want to know him and I want to lavish in him and I want to praise him because that's what salvation does. It makes us lovers of God. I'm telling you, God does not just care about outward appearance. He looks at the heart. Verse 5, one more time. And to the one who does not work but believe, in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Who is justified? Rather than trusting in my doing, what must I do? But believe in him who justifies the ungodly. An amazing statement justifies the ungodly. This is God. He justifies who? The ungodly. That's you and me. I'm ungodly. I do not deserve to go to heaven, but he justifies. He makes friends out of those who don't like him. Ungodly. He makes friends out of those who do not like him. Abraham was worshiping idols when God found him, but God made him a friend. He doesn't do those who clean themselves up. God saves us in our sin and in our unrighteousness. He does not turn to us because we turn to him. No, we turn to him because he turns to us. He justifies the ungodly through faith, not by works. It has always been this way, even with Abraham. Let's look at the last two verses. The purpose, what was the purpose of all of this? The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to him as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. God wanted all of his children to be justified by faith according to the flesh so that we would be children of God according to, to the flesh in Abraham. Abraham is our father, and we are justified by faith. Therefore, the song says, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And this 
religious hokey pokey is what I call it, right arm. I don't like the song after that. I'm like, it's just getting lame, right arm, left arm, get all that out here. Throw some footwork music and let's go. Indeed, let's praise the Lord that in God's purpose, even in saving Abraham, was to communicate that his love and mercy are wide to include every tribe, tongue, language, and people. That's red, yellow, black, and white. They are all precious in his sight. And oh, how blessed we are to trust in Jesus. Worship team is coming back at this time. It is blessed to trust him whose power will never be exalted, exhausted, who love will never give up, who kindness will never change, whose faithfulness will never fail, and whose wisdom will never be baffled, and whose perfect goodness can never be diminished, diminished. Blessed are all those who trust in him. Church, this puts us all on the same playing field. You don't have to be great to be saved. It really doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter what sins you carry today. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. If you would repent of your sins and come to Jesus, come to Jesus before it is too late. If Abraham and David needed grace, surely you do. And when you come in faith, he'll let you take your salvation home the same day. No layaway.